Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I am Peter Whitlaw. Now you might have been reading recently about young people and their more hard left-wing views, perhaps harder than they've ever been, and the fact that they are very much out of alignment with most of the rest of the population. Um, well, that's because there's been a new report out. It's called The Political Culture of Young Britain. The author of it is Eric Kaufman, uh, who is with me today. He's Professor of Politics at Birkbeck College, University of London. Um, he's been on the channel before, haven't you, Eric? You were on uh, to talk about your book, White Shift. Yes. Uh, some time ago. Um, um, very pleased to have you back. Thank you very much. Um, Great to be here, Peter. You, the author of this report, as I said, it is called The Political Culture of Young Britain, um, and it's for policy exchange, isn't it? Right. Um, now, there were some sort of headline findings in this report. I mentioned about being hard left there. Um, you basically did polling of you of what 18 to 20 year olds I believe wasn't it yeah well I did there were two um, reports and two sets of polls which kind of intersect right yeah and and basically uh, what you found is that or I, I'm praising here you can tell me if I'm wrong is that in fact you know the idea that somehow young people are sort of you know being indoctrinated or whatever or or that in fact critical race theory and gender theory um, is being taught uh, in schools is in fact true, isn't it? Isn't that right? I it mean, is, yeah. And I don't think most people quite understand that. that. Because one of the views that you hear, particularly from progressives, is that, oh, well, this is just an isolated incident. It's the American school in London doing critical race theory, but yeah. nobody else and, and no, nothing to see here. Um, but what this survey did was it took a random draw from the, uh, the student population. In other words, 18 to 20 year olds, uh, we were asking them what they were taught uh, in school. Now the 18 year olds were still in school at the time, it was April. Um, and we just listed a bunch of uh, concepts from critical race theory. So white privilege, uh, systemic racism, unconscious bias, and then a couple of radical gender concepts, patriarchy, many genders. And what we found was, uh, about six in ten uh, of these pupils had encountered at least one of the critical race theory linked concepts and it, rise, it rose to 75% uh, when we include both race and gender encountering at really? least one of these. Really? So yeah, there's been large, it is endemic uh, in British education. Now it's, it's not, I mean in the United States it's about an extra 25-30% higher in terms of the level of exposure but the UK is sort of two-thirds to three-quarters down the road of what's going on in the US. So uh, this is basically, um, you're talking about therefore schools before kids go to university, aren't you? Um, this is always illustrated in the media as being kind of moral panic, isn't it? That right. these things aren't really happening, it's just the right wing, you know, sort of exaggerating. That's just, it seems to be the case, not true. Exactly, it's just not true. It's either they don't know or they're lying. Yeah. I mean, but a typical reaction, I was on GB News and I was talking about these findings, and John Burko, who was, he was there as a disgust, he just sort of with a wave of his hand said, well, I think these things are exaggerated. In other words, I'm providing sort of representative survey evidence of 1,500 individuals. He's with a wave of his hand and just no evidence, mm -hmm. never having been, you know, having no idea what's going on, and yet that is seen more or less as the equivalent. You know, That side doesn't have to have any evidence. Um, but yeah, I think anyone who's serious about this can see that 
um, critical race and gender theory are being taught in a majority yeah. to a majority of British school kids. As though it's fact. That's that's as well. Isn't as, it? And yes. Yeah, so the second question we asked was: Were alternative views presented that were seen as respectable? And the answer was essentially no. For in seventy percent of cases, this was taught as fact. Right. Um, and that's really what's going on. So you're getting this taught overwhelmingly as fact. Tom, what has the what has the reaction been? To, uh, of conservatives to your report? I mean, you know, that you can gauge. Mm. Do they take it on board? I mean, you mentioned Burke, you know, he's a nominal conservative, or right. he's not even that anymore, is he? No. What is the general, the, the governmental response been, or from politicians? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what the response from government has been. I mean, it's we've had a lot of coverage in all of the right of center press from the Times to the right. So it's had pretty good coverage and a lot of viewership yeah. and so I'm pretty pleased with the amount of pickup it's had in terms of circulation. What I don't know is whether that's changing anything amongst mm. government people. Now of course people in the common sense group are aware of this um, mm. but I'm not sure they have the power. The current Minister of Education I think is not particularly on board or at least doesn't seem to care. I mean that's my impression. The common sense group you should explain is um this is a group of Tory MPs led by Sir John Hayes, yes, isn't it? about yeah. 60 of them, I think, who, who yeah. tend more to be, if, if you like, more obviously conservative than the rest of the Conservative right. Party. Um, right. Could you give us just a, f a few headline findings from the report? I mean, you know, on, a, on maybe one or two, two questions. What do young people think about them? Well, yeah, so I mean, I mentioned that most young people are getting critical race and gender um, yeah. teaching in schools. That's number one. Now, in terms of their attitudes, uh, yeah, I'll take a question like um, defending Kathleen Stock's rights to academic freedom. Um, slightly more of the uh, 18 to 25 group um, would not defend her right to academic freedom than would defend it. So slightly more of them disagree with the vice chancellor protecting Stock. So that's an example. Yeah. Or uh, dropping J.K. Rowling, her publisher dropping her. Uh, it's roughly evenly balanced between the young people who want her dropped and those who don't want her dropped. In both the stock case and the rolling case amongst the over 50s, it's sort of 85 against, that is 85% defending stock and rolling and only 5% opposing. Mm -hmm. So it's 85-5 versus 50-50. That kind of gives you a sense yes. of how big, that's sort of, what is it, 35 to 45 points mm -hmm. gap. Um, enormous but, gap. And similarly, by the way, moving, uh, if we take a, a more of a critical race theory issue, yeah. um, moving Churchill statue from Parliament Square is, is, is again a rough split amongst the under 25s, right. and it's also 85 5 amongst the over 50s. So again, we're seeing these, whether it's the cancel culture stuff or the critical race stuff, it's a similar generational, what I would call a, a youthquake uh, in youthquake. these attitudes. Yeah. And also, on structural racism, what was the result there? I mean, in, in terms of, you know, I think you asked the question, did you not, is Britain a racist country? Yeah. So there, for the young, it's about sort of just over 60% yes versus just under 40 no. Um, and that's the inverse of what you're getting in the wider population. So they're much more likely to be on board with this talk of Britain as a, a racist, systemically racist country. Uh, founded on racism. I mean, they, you know, most of them would, a plurality of them would go for that. Yeah. Um, so both on the heritage issues, 
around history and yeah. race and here you know national heroes and on the uh, cancel culture question about defending the free speech rights of Stock and Rowling and others. Yeah. Uh, they are dramatically to the left of, of the population. And, and actually, so now some people would say, well, it's because they haven't got a mortgage and they aren't on the housing ladder and they haven't got a job. But even if you control for those factors, which, which I can do in the adult survey, which goes from age 18 all the way up, uh, those things hardly matter. And, and so I would say a young person, even if they have a house, uh, a well-paid mm. job, they're still mm. going to have woke views because this is primarily about a cultural mind virus that that they're passing to each other and they're getting from social media and to some degree from the schools. And it's quite independent and orthogonal to anything economic. And, and, yeah. Actually, you know, it's, it, you, you make the point in the report, I think, quite important, uh, interesting one, that in fact they sort of imbibe this general cultural uh, attitude, uh, yeah. almost irrespective of, of school. You know, that when they arrive at university, I think you'd say they're already woke. Is that right? That's right. They, they are already woke. So, I mean, even comparing people who are doing a gap year before they mm. start university with people who are at university, mm. you know, the people doing that year before or working before they attend mm. university are every bit or even more woke than the people who are already attending. Mm. And that, and, and that tallies with what we know that actually they're not, it's not university, the content of what they're being taught at university doesn't really have that much effect. Yeah, there have yeah. been a few studies on this, that they're already there by the yeah. time they step on campus. Yeah. You know, the most worrying thing for me, Eric, really, is this, you mentioned there J.K. Rowling, um, just purely anecdotally from my own conversations with people who are considerably younger than me, but <clears throat> excuse me, even up to, actually this bears what you're saying out, <laughs> even up to in their early 30s, um, they have no qualms about people basically being fired for certain views. Really, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, and their whole attitude to free speech appears to be one of just either incomprehension or um, just simple indifference. They don't really, I mean, it's a value, but it's very low ranking or relatively low ranking mm -hmm. value for them. So, you know, just to take an example, there are surveys from the U.S. that say, you know, would you allow someone on campus who opposes abortion in all circumstances? Mm -hmm. uh, or should that person be essentially not allowed to speak on campus? And yes. you're getting upwards of 70% of students, undergraduates in the top, let's say, 100 U.S. universities who are saying no. So they're not drawing any distinction between I disagree with that view yeah. and don't let the person on it. For them, it's just the same thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very weak adherence to uh, free speech values mm. in general. Um, and in their survey work, by the way, from an, a, some US academics that where you can trace this from the 70s. So you can look at an 18 year old in 1970, 1980, 2000, 2016, and that same 18 year old is just a lot more intolerant in 2016 than even in 2000 not to mention 1990 and 1980. So yeah. it's not the age, they're not gonna grow out of it, is sort yeah. of one of the points, is they have become much more morally absolutist. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, one can feel it, actually, puritanical <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. You mentioned their earthquake. Um, in the report, you sort of actually give this earthquake, as you might put it, um, a, a date. You say it between 2010, 2015, is when mm. things hardened. Is, is that right? Yeah, I think you, you, it's definitely the case that in the 2010s uh, we're seeing a shift. I mean, I would say the shift is, is longer and more protracted 
Yeah. I mean, the, these American research, Citroen, uh, uh, Jack Citroen, Morris Levy, and, and uh, Dennis Chong, they basically show even as early, it's starting to change in, in around 2000. But it's sort of one of these curves that just does this gradually over time. So the questions have been asked for now, what is it, 50 years about, you know, would you allow these types of speakers, uh, militarist, fascist, homosexual, uh, I don't know what, a few other categories, and yeah. racist is one of them. Um, and all of the others people have been getting more tolerant on, on, on the racist one, that's diverged from, from yes. all the others. Yes. So uh, it's kind of indicative, and, and, and they sort of show how anything around identity has become kind of toxified and solely for younger people, particularly younger educated people. But actually what I find is there's not that much difference between young people going to university and young people not going yeah. to university. Yeah. It's not a massive divide. Now I think that does that divide does open up as these people get older and the ones who don't go to university do become a bit less that way. Mm -hmm. I think there's some evidence for that, but yeah. still not a huge difference between the ones who are attending and not attending. I think one thing I found very interesting, but again, it's borne out by my own anecdotal, my own experience mm. in life, uh, is the difference between white young people and ethnic minority young people. Broadly speaking, ethnic minority young people are less prone to, you know, if you like, the progressive shibboleths. Isn't that right? Yeah. So, so that's one. Ironic, of the, isn't it? Yeah, really? it is ironic. You're right. I mean, it's. Yeah. It, it is interesting that they are less politically correct yeah. um, in the in the survey very clearly. Mm. Um, part of that is they're less politicized. They're less bathed in the youth culture and the progressive yeah. uh, woke culture. Um, and maybe that's partly because they have their own traditions which are somewhat of a bulwark against that. Um, but you definitely see fewer that are very far left, fewer that are very pro-political correctness. Yeah. Um, and, and, but then of course if you just take the white group, they're more polarized. Mm. So the, the, the anti-woke side is also stronger amongst whites as well as the woke side. It's just that the preponderance is much more heavily on the woke yes, side. I, yeah. I, I, I was struck by a piece you wrote uh, in The Telegraph, which I think was a piece of commentary about your report, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, in which you seem to grip entirely the seriousness of this yeah. for our culture and civilization, actually. Um, you have to propose certain things in most reports, don't you? Um, where would one, where do you start on this issue with education? I mean, yeah. what are some of the couple of the things that you would propose as the main thing? Well, what I would say is that the um, guidance that Ofsted and the Department of Education produce for the schools is presently much too loose and baggy mm. to enforce the school's impartiality, which is in law in Section 406, 407. They have a duty to be politically impartial not to indoctrinate. Uh, but of course, the definition of indoctrination, the definition of what is a consensus view uh, is not sharp enough. So in fact, what you need to do is nail down the definition of racism in the guidance to say, uh, racism excludes theories of systemic racism. That's what, what has to happen. We have to say, theories of systemic racism are politically contested and therefore if you teach them you are violating your impartiality duties. That's got to be written down in detail. The only way to get around this is to nail everything down because if it's yeah. abstract, they'll just dodge and they'll say, oh, well, Ibram X. Kendi, that's just anti-racism, which is a consensus value, so that's mm -hmm. not political. No, we have to redefine, we have to 
essentially make sure that things which are political cannot be defined as yes. moral, um, yes. because that's the way it's working right now. That's number one, that's the most important thing. Yeah. But then also the government has to be much more proactive in terms of reporting duties. This, got, this has to be in the inspection regime, it's got to be in the teacher training, uh, the, this very detailed guidance on impartiality and in, in violations thereof. Mm. And the people have to, who, who are violating this um, eventually have to be fired. I mean, there has to be demonstration that if you flout these regulations, then you're going to be gone, and that chill will help to end this uh, indoctrination. Now, the other, the other thing is, of course, curriculum transparency. Uh, all third-party providers, because often we'll get, it could be trans activists, it could be uh, critical race activists pushing their materials into the schools, showing up yeah. as... Uh, assembly speakers, you know, these sorts of things. That's all got to be transparent and open. Uh, and their materials have to be open to inspection. And also, parents have to have a right to see those materials on request. Um, that's not currently the case. They can say, oh, no, this is proprietary. We, we don't want our competitors to see it, so we can't release it. That's their excuse. Well, we've had uh, actually yeah. someone on the show, um, Claire Page, who uh, is, in fact, uh, a parent who took this as far as she could, she just simply wanted to know what these materials were. And I mean, every possible uh, obstacle right. was put in her way. Yes, and that, you know, if you had a serious government, yeah. um, not this one, but a serious government, they would actually make this a key part of their pitch mm. to voters, and that would tie them in mm. to really putting pressure on Ofsted and the schools and not letting them wriggle away. And that's kind of what you need is sustained pressure leaks to the media, make this political, it's got to be politicized, and, and part of this is you have to bring power out of these bodies yeah. to the center of, of elected government. And, and I'm afraid it's not ideal, but in a situation where these institutions have all been captured from below by activists, you need to actually get um, more influence from central government, which is elected by the population. And the population, you know, the most of the population, two to one, are against most of these woke things, and that yeah. isn't actually being reflected in the institutions. It needs to be. Uh, and the only way that can happen is is with more hands-on intervention from yeah. government. In fact, actually, the only time I can remember any senior government person saying anything about this was Camille Badenoch, um, when she mm. said that critical race theory should not be taught as fact. I think she even said it should be banned. Um, but of course, nothing has happened. Right, then, I mean, right. You know, in fact, you know, we've had about 800 governments since then, I think. Um, but this is it, really, isn't it? Ultimately, it is down to government, and you've got to have a really strong Minister of Education who's not then going to be overridden by his cabinet colleagues. Well, that's right, yeah. And it has to be enough of a priority that you're willing to sacrifice yeah. political capital of other kinds to achieve these aims. And, mm -hmm. and you know, you see this with Ron DeSantis in Florida, for example. Yeah really willing to go after the schools and that's kind of what we need and mm. that will pay dividends and the electorate will be behind you mm. if you have the courage to do it now part of the problem is that you know obviously the Tories most of the Tories don't care because they're mainly about uh, you know uh, economic management mm. but if you actually had a more motivated government in there that that actually did care that campaigns yeah. on this the media gets behind them they they can verbalize the arguments against these things then I think it would make a huge difference. Um, and, and you can see even in, you know, even in, I'm from Canada, you can see there were times the conservative government in Ontario, one of the provinces said, we're gonna teach about 
the gulag, and uh, I don't know if cultural revolution was part of the curriculum, but th during that time, all students were taught about the excesses uh, of Stalinism, uh, you know, and then once, really? yeah. yeah, but then once they got out of office, then that fades away, and it's back to the same old stuff. So you, the governments can really shape curriculum, but they're not interested right now, and that's got to change because, as I say in the report, the conservatives are becoming unelectable because generations have been bathed in this anti-conservative philosophy now for a couple of decades and once they become the median voter mm. then conservatives will just be a kind of toxic brand that will be out of office most of the time a bit like the Canadian conservatives they get in occasionally but they're a natural party of opposition and I can see mm. that happening to the conservatives in maybe 20 years well they should really take note shouldn't they um, yeah. as you say I think it, it will be it is like rolling a, a rock up a hill with them uh, I just think they don't right. seem to quite under understand it. Um, Eric, you uh, obviously, uh, this is about youth and youth views, but you wrote a, a wonderful uh, chapter for our book, which I'm going to now plug, uh, <laughs> Fighting Back, which you actually is selling very well, by the way. So this is it here. And um, Eric has spoke at our conference, uh, actually, in uh, April uh, this year, and then um, contributed um, a a chapter to the book which was essentially related to our subject really that we've mm. been talking about but it was actually it was sort of far broader it was basically how does one try to dislodge if you like what's known as the blob which include massively includes education doesn't it but you know what actually what were your sort of ideas for that I mean how can people say how can we march back if right. you like through the institutions that's what you were talking about yeah, and so I think the first starting point is, you know, exiting the institutions or reforming them. Mm. And a lot of kind of libertarian types prefer the exit option, which I think will only work in a free market. Maybe the media is, is one place or think yeah. tanks, but it's not going to work for things like schools, tech firms, for example, where you have some sort of a monopoly or you have first mover advantages. So it's not really a free market. Um, there's an established status hierarchy, and it's just very hard to dislodge. So the only way that's going to change is through elected governments intervening in these institutions. Yeah. It's yeah. a bit like you can look at Twitter and say, is it Gab and Parler and Getter that are going to lead to a change in the social media environment, or is it Elon Musk, yeah. you know, which is going to have more of an, an impact? Now, you know, we're not in a position to have Elon Musk's in, every, in all of these departments, but we are in a position to actually put people that are more aligned with uh, what I would call a cultural liberal as opposed to cultural socialist position yeah. into these government bodies to uh, undertake the reforms that they are elected uh, or that the government is elected on. So uh, an example would be if you take the Supreme Court in the United States, um, that's been politicized. Appointments are political. Mm -hmm. the, the way the say if you're the Republican Party, the way you vet candidates for the, the bench is that you have this whole system uh, through the Federalist Society, which has branches on campus, is playing a key role in bringing together people who have more conservative or classical liberal views. Mm -hmm. They can then vet candidates for lower circuit uh, courts and then work their way up. And so you have this whole vetting process, mm -hmm. and then you pick certain judges based on their uh, political views to, to go on to the Supreme Court. You almost have to replicate that structure mm -hmm. for all government bodies. So you need to have a policy network that involves something like the Federalist Society, 
that gets people networked together, build up a, a Rolodex file of suitable candidates. You then have to get them when you're in office, you get them into key positions in the bureaucracy, get them to apply, um, and you have a suitable pool of candidates. And that's the way you make change. And you have to politicize because the other sides politicize these institutions. There's no good standing back and saying, we don't want to be political. You actually have to get political. And because the left controls all the institutions, the only thing the right controls is elected government. It means that as government on the right, you have to explicitly campaign on cultural issues that we are going to actually push our preferences into these institutions. Um, and people will say, oh, you're politicizing. Uh, these institutions, they should be just neutral, but of course they're not neutral. They're being aggressively politicized from below by these activists. So that's, that is the main solution that I... Now, how do we get there? It involves also, you need a major change in, in the Conservative Party, akin to the kinds of changes that have occurred in the Republican Party. I mean, I don't agree with the Trump cult, but what I do agree with is a shift away from the establishment Republicanism that was only about low taxes to something that is more populist in the sense of taking the cultural concerns around the border, around wokeness on board, campaigning on those, raising their profile so that the electorate understands that these mm -hmm. are important, and then delivering. Um, and that's kind of where we need to get to. It can't really happen until we have a sort of grassroots movement like the Tea Party, something that takes over party branches or yeah. votes out, deselects yeah. these sort of wet, more Liberal, liberal Tory candidates that are currently dominant in the party. Because, you know, what you're, what you're mentioning there about well, basically what you could call the quangocracy, right? Mm. Uh, these endless quangos, uh, which, you know, you could quite easily have a more sympathetic head to mm. this committee, that committee, quite easy. The Tories have done nothing about it in 12 years, right? Right. Now, they are going to be pushed out next time. So you're talking about a long time now, aren't you? Because you if are. we have Labour... You, you, you almost need, do you not, for the Tory party to disappear, maybe, and for something a bit like happened in Canada to take its place. I don't know. Maybe that's one way. That's an interesting possibility, you know. I mean, the, the, the difference, I suppose, is the Reform Party in Canada. I mean, I remember growing up when it emerged and voting for them that they were a kind of movement a large-scale movement with a, with a territorial base in the West, and uh, they remade, in a way, the Conservative Party. My worry here in Britain is we don't seem to have that grassroots mm. movement. Mm. Mm. I mean, there is sort of these small, uh, you yeah. know, third parties, but I don't see anything akin to... I mean, on the left, you have momentum, for example. I mean, there's nothing like that, it seems to me, on the right. No. It's, it's grassroots. Yes, no, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, and it also, a movement that is essentially outside London, really. I mean, you know, the, the, the Brexit, if you like, the kind of Brexit pattern, national pattern, I think, perhaps. Um, Eric, I mean, you know, it's, it's fascinating and also very worrying stuff, actually. But, I mean, you are putting forward actual ideas. And uh, if there's one thing that happens with our feedback on the program, uh, it is people say, you know, we agree with you, we agree with all this, but what are we going to do about it? What do you propose to do about it? And so, um, you know, thank you for putting forward some ideas on it. Um, um, we uh, have a few more questions for you, for our exclusive members, if you could just hang
panel around for a little bit. Sure. But um, in the meantime, thank you very much. Now, if people want to read the report, they can download it, can't they, from the Policy Exchange site? Yeah, if they just Google Policy Exchange and then either Culture Wars or the Political Culture of Young Britain, uh, both of those terms will get you one of the reports, and then you can just download them. Right. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Eric. Thanks, uh, That's it uh, for So What You're Saying Is This Week. We shall see you next time. Thank you very much. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.